Here they come! Hello, and welcome to episode 171 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Mark McGee to discuss Buck Rogers being found and rescued in the very first episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, entitled The Awakening. Greetings, exalted one. Right, let's yeah. do it. You ready? Stand by for action. Well, oh, I don't know. No. Hang on, I don't, one. That's the wrong one. I, I can't <laughs> guarantee action. So, all right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll start then. You know the drill. Uh, right. What's your backstory with Buck then? Buck Rogers. So, I was looking up to see when it was shown in the UK. And from what I could tell, the pilot wasn't actually shown on the tell on the TV in the UK. It was a theatrical release. And I went to see it. Yeah, I, uh, so yeah. I think I saw it at the cinema. Yeah, Granada Maidstone is where I went. I was at college and I went to the Granada Maidstone, which I would end up being a projectionist in. Ah. Yes, yeah, I can clearly yeah. remember going to see that. And I, and and the and and the you can have your turn in a minute. But um, <laughs> my, my abiding memory is the that the, the film didn't live up to the poster artwork. It yeah. had the most amazing poster, and it's like, oh, it's another Star Wars, hooray! Yeah, and then I watched it. Yeah. Well, uh, what, what, would it, what year was that? About 80, was it? 81? 79, 80 it yeah, was. Yeah, so I would, what, God, I was just near, just about in double figures. So I think I probably had a much sort of <laughs> more fondness for it because it was shooty, shooty space stuff. And I didn't really mind what, what it was because it was just more space stuff, mm. which, which was great. Um, I just remember watching the series religiously. When it was Saturday shown. nights, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and to be fair, I, I actually quite liked all of it. I even remember collecting the Panini sticker album. For <sighs> that, it. I've, I've got it written down. That's the, because, you know, I was like, you know, I don't know, 18, 19. I had outgrown, you know, the toys because there was a Starfighter toy, wasn't there? Oh, and, yes. Yeah. But the <laughs> Panini sticker album, and like always, you know, Ian has said on his YouTube thing, you know, you buy the album, you, you, you get the sticker packs of stickers. You never, ever no. finished it. No. You've always got empty spaces. Yeah, and I remember you had to send off for some and stuff like that. I had an abiding memory of, of trading something for one for a sticker that was the Thermal Vampire from Season 2. I watched that this morning. Can you believe it? Because, yeah, um, we're, we're going to talk about the very first episode of Season 1, and I yes. thought, I wonder, because I've got the box set, and I bought it, must be, what, six, seven years ago, and I have yet to get through them all. Um, and this is just first season, and um, I happened to be on disc four, and I thought, all right, okay, I quite enjoyed that. Um, let's let's watch an episode over breakfast, and so got to disc four. Right, the next one, uh oh, space vampire, and <laughs> and I thought, right, me and Mark, we've got to do a return to Buck, I think, for space vampire, and uh, <sighs> yeah, this is first you know about it, Mark, but can we do space vampire next? Ab- absolutely. 
Oh, that's good then that you have a connection. You wanted that card. <laughs> I, I bizarrely, I was desperate for that card, and I was. Was willing, it a card of the vampire? Yes, it was the the it had like the glow on it or something like. I can't. I don't know. It wasn't a wasn't one of those multi sticker pictures because you used right. to get ones that were like four or six stickers. Oh, I don't know. I mean, again, I I had the I had the toys. I had the the very small. Was it Corgi? That it was a them Corgi, yep, yeah. One, yeah, yeah. There was a very small starfighter with yellow wings that that went that slid in and out, and I had the larger metal diecast starfighter. Both of them, I seem to recall, had the front prongs had a bar. That's right. Attached to so, so you so, didn't so, poke people's eyes out. Yeah, yeah. Didn't didn't stop you firing the small missiles out the top of it in, into siblings' <laughs> into eyes, into somebody's eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. Cool. But at least you couldn't stab anyone with it, so that was fine. Did you have any of the action <laughs> figures? Because there was action figures as well. I wasn't don't there? think I did. No. Okay. I don't, I don't think I stretched to that. I know I was very jealous of a friend of mine who had the model kit of the hatchet that we'll look at. It's funny, Later. some people call it the hatchet fighter, and some yeah. people call it the marauder, don't yeah. they? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we've got to talk about that shortly. But, yeah, no, I had that kit, and uh, and, and built it, and loved it, and then I don't know what I did with it, and uh, I, I re-bought it like 10 years ago. They're incredibly rare now, and incredibly yes. expensive, aren't they? But uh, lovely yeah. kit, lovely model. Much like the, the um, Starfighter. Yes. That was I had that as well, kit. yeah. But I can remember, you know, just being disappointed with the Starfighter that you didn't actually get a pilot with it. <laughs> yeah, and they were, they were a really rubbish cockpit as well. Yeah, I mean, it didn't mad, matter with the Marauder because no. it came with red-tinted <laughs> uh, canopy, but so you couldn't see inside. We'll talk about why that might be a good reason when we get to that bit. <laughs> All right, naughty draconian pilots. Yes. Up to. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so I had quite a good. Memories of, of the series. Um, I think you and I, this is a bit of Groundhog Day, because when you were on the show talking Battlestar Galactica, yeah. that's about the same age, and you remember yeah. it very fondly, but yeah. both Buck Rogers and Battlestar Galactica, I my, my, my opinion of it was I would watch it because it's science fiction, and relatively, yeah. compared to the UK and what we were having with Doctor Who and Blake 7, big budget science fiction, but it yes. was all just so silly and campy and lightweight and I, I i watched it for the effects couldn't apart from wilma uh didn't uh, <laughs> ha, didn't have any interest in um any of the characters in buck rogers and especially not tweaky oh. he got on my tits when i was 18 and today watching him in space vampire he got on them even more i th- i think he he was a typical example of some executive sitting there going, we need a robot sidekick because Star Wars. We need an R2-D2. It's exactly uh, the same 100%. thing they did when they westernised um, Ninja Science Team Gatchaman. Into Battle of the Planets. Yeah, we, we need yeah. a whiny sidekick robot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we don't. And, and the, the, the biggest crime for me is that they used Chuck Jones for the voice, but... Um, yeah. Um, not Chuck Jones. Who am I talking of, about? Mel Blanc. Sorry, that's it. Yeah, Chuck Jones was the animator. Mel Blanc. Ma- both of them. Ma- I didn't. Mel <laughs> Blanc is 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 Looney Tunes. He's Warner Brother cartoons. You know, yeah. it just takes you out of it. You know, completely. Biddy biddy biddy. Oh no! Don't do that. <laughs> Let that be the last one today, please, Mark. Okay. <laughs> Alert. 
Shell. Envelop alien ship in force field and prepare for boarding the Draconia. Alright, so yeah, we're going hmm. first season, first ever episode, which, yeah. as you say, was uh, theatrically released. We saw it over here as a movie yeah. before we saw the show, and quite a way before, I think, but uh, watching it um, uh, for the show today, oh, how quaint it is that mm. they set it in 1987 which isn't that far ahead from when they made the show, and uh, that you actually use a Saturn V, which somewhere on the top there would have had a space shuttle stuck inside it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) Isn't a Saturn V the very pointy bit of a Saturn V, a cockpit with three people in it? Yes, but, you know, science fiction (laughs) story. Mm. (laughs) It's it's, uh, plot-driven... cargo capacity i think and it's also very odd that i mean it, it, it's a pivotal thing it, it, it is yeah. the creation of the you know comic book hero buck rogers is he has this accident in space and yet it's it's over and done with in less than a minute in this odd three panel arrangement i guess they're trying to in, in, evoke the comic book origins of yeah. buck rogers but it's just via narration we actually see it we don't yeah. we, we, we have no drama whatsoever you just see old jill inside his uh, um space shuttle going through a bit of sparkly bits and then he's uh, he's all frosty and that's it yeah i think wasn't it? i mean i i haven't watched the full pilot for for a long time obviously i've been for today i've been looking at particular sections mm. but wasn't it drawn out a little bit more in the actual beginning of the of the pilot no Really? No, no, oh, no, no, okay. no, no. It's over and done within less than a minute um, in these like blocky three panel things. But then oh. we go back to full screen to show, you know, his beat up, you know, ship drifting through space 500 years later. And then, and this is, I can't watch an episode of Buck Rogers in its entirety. I have to be ready with a fast forward because that god awful opening song, <laughs> right? If, number one, it's god awful. If I hear just two bars of that song, it's stuck in my head for days, and I find myself humming it. So I have to be, you know, pounce on the fast forward as soon as that starts. I've got to get right the way through that because I can't listen to it. And I'm going to suffer for you, listener. I'm actually going to put this on the end of this recording, ah. which means I've got to rip it. So uh. I suffer for this podcast. Do, do you do you think um, Enterprise was channeling a bit of Buck Rogers? I think so, yeah, that, that, that was god-awful as well. Um, the only uh, positive thing is, I mean, it's unusual because this is the, you know, the pilot and everything, in that we don't have the regular opening of Buck Rogers. We mm. have this very, um, you know, James Bond-esque... Oh, um, God, yes. Yes. <laughs> Soft-focus, oh, lovely I, ladies thing. I have that... Oh, yeah, that's just... You've just draw, dragged that out of my deep memory. Yeah, all soft focus. They're trying to do a James Bondy style thing. The only good thing about it is you've got Owen Gray sat there in uh, trying to look alluring uh, with Vaseline on the lens. Is it on like a disco floor or something? It is, and it's all, all lit from below and everything, and very seventies hair and uh, a lot of pouting going on. You Calisthenics, know. whatever the word is. Yeah, I'm I don't stretching. know what this is meant to convey. I don't know if this is like Buck dreaming of the ladies. For 500 years, I don't know. Um, so, after that, 
um, we we go back to his tumbling ship and uh, and horns blaring like mad. In comes the Draconia, Ooh, yes. the Draconian ship, um, and the way that looks and the way it comes in, the way a horns blaring. Could it possibly be that these are bad guys? Do you think? <laughs> well, no, obviously not. They are no. they are neutral parties. Yes. Um, and in a quite bold opposite move to the first shot of the Star Destroyer in Star Wars, the ship comes towards the camera and then yeah. goes up and over. It's a re- reverse, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, um, now, this Draconia ship, why, oh, why, oh, why? And maybe now with 3D printing you can get one. Why hasn't there been a decent size model of this ship? Because it's bloody brilliant. I love this ship. Do you know, I, I hardly have a memory of it um, from my youth. But since we were talking about doing this, I had a bit of a research. It's cracking. It's it's, a it's pretty, superb, it's a isn't really it? Really nice model. Yep. And unfortunately, the thing with Buck Rogers is uh, it's a case of fantastic models. Shame about the photography because everything is very fuzzy and blurry. The compositing is pretty dire. Um, if you look at a uh, any photo of one of the studio models, like you say, the word is cracking. They are fabulous model work because a lot of the model workers, uh, model makers, are the model makers that worked on Star Wars. You know, mm. um, Glenn Larson pinched them first for Battlestar Galactica and then um, here for Buck Rogers. It's a superb model. I wish there, I mean, you can produce a, you know, uh, like an 18 inch version of uh, the Galactica back in the 70s. Why couldn't we have had an 18 inch version? version of the draconia i don't know i mean i'm surprised they brought out the um the i suppose they 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 brought out the fighters simply because you could play space battles with them oh of course there were toy versions of the fighters as well wasn't there we we, we're talking about the model ones but there were yeah ones for your action figures as well yes and I, i don't know whether it was cost effective or i don't know might just have been an executive decision that it was too expensive to mold or something I don't know, but it is a fantastic model. You don't see it too too clearly, but I love its you know uh, rusty orangey reddy colour scheme. Uh, I love all the hard edges it's got to it. It is brutal. Yeah. This ship, yeah, it, it just looks like a, a hatchet, doesn't it? Yes, coming at you. Well, hatchet, hatchet fighters. That's when these oh, marauders yeah. <laughs> are launched, aren't they? You yes. know. Um, now there are many similarities between this show and the show that Glenn did just before at Battlestar Galactica. One of them being launch tubes. Yes. They are launched out of launch tubes, red launch tubes. These ones. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, here we have them, the, the marauder fighters. Again, I like the design. I like the hard edges of it. Um, um, but I'll put photos on Facebook. Where the bloody hell is the engine? Because if you look at it, the the guy must be sitting on the engine. There's no room for a, a pilot in that ship. Or is it like a motorbike? Straddled over it. Or the engine is all at the front. Yeah, could be. Maybe, maybe. So when I first saw them, I, I always imagined that, that the pilots were standing up. Why? Because it just looked like you'd stand up in them. Well, and there's no room to sit down, I suppose. Maybe yeah. they are. I mean, we don't... I, oh, no, I think they're you in get, our... Insta- you, do, you do get interior shots of them sat down, obviously. Yeah, they, I think... They never looked like it fitted inside the exterior. Yeah, Buck climbs and inside one and flies one yeah. sometime as well. But, but I mean, they, they, they go off to investigate this, you know, 
strange tumbling ship. And um, yeah, the compositing is pretty bad. Um, each one of these fighters has got a bloody great thick black outline all the mm. way around it. Um, and they open fire on Buck's ship with the Battlestar Galactica's sound effects. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and again, until you mentioned it, it had never twigged on me, but re-watching it, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same, yeah. The, the sound of the ships and everything. Yeah, Glenn Larson was very much like Irwin Allen, you know, um, just... Just riff on what you've already done. You know, if you've got it and it saves money, why not use it? You know? well, that's it. Paid for it. <laughs> yeah, money yeah, for it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Galacta might might be finished, but I've still got this. You know, sound effects bank and etc. etc. Um, there's a pivotal moment here. Um, one of these fighter pilots uh, tells them to hold fire as he doesn't recognise the design of the ship. I mean, if he hadn't said that, Buck would be dead, and we wouldn't have a TV series, I suppose. <laughs> True. Yeah, and we get a nice big shot of the top of the Draconia. The camera passes over it. I love all the brass domes everywhere. Mm. Um, yeah, very um, the sort of pointy dome shape. Minor- is it not minarets? Is that what it is? No, you're right. Minarets. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's all very uh, Ming the Merciless, isn't it? You know, you yes. can see Ming having a ship like this. Um, but then, I mean, it's all right. You know, the the, the effects are okay. The compositing's bad. But then, dear, oh dear. Um, there's mention about uh, a force field. Put a force field around it and we'll take the ship hmm. back. And that's represented by bright green lasers in a triangle, uh, basically, going around yeah. Buck's ship. Um, not the most convincing of effects. And uh, and then, yeah, his ship goes down what looks like a green laser tunnel into the ship. Yeah, as, as it would. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, it's all pretty duff, but it does give you a sense of scale of the ship because yeah. uh, you know you've got the hatchet fighters, the marauders flying past the little docking bay he's gone into, so you get the impression this is a very big ship, um, and that's it. He's in the ship, and that's it. That's our sequence. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very exciting one. It's not a bad. It's not a bad introduction. I mean, no. because Jill hasn't spoken yet. All right. There's, there's no Tweaky. Yeah. There's no Tweaky. There's no Jill talking. We've seen Wilma. We've seen the Draconia ship. We've seen the Marauder fighters. So they, okay, there's some poor compositing, but you know, for an opening of a brand new show, ain't bad. All right. Yeah. They, they've established potential threat and and a little bit of mystery. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, then we cut to inside and we got the actors. Yes. Um, and we got Tiger Man and Killer Kane and everything. And it's all... <laughs> Street Fighter. Yeah. It's all very silly, isn't it? It's all very silly. All right. So this Draconia ship, as I say, it, it's always been a favourite of mine. You know, if, if if you're talking about villain top 10 villain spaceships of film and TV, I, I think I'd have to put it in there. Um, uh, was built by Universal Heartland which is the effects company where, yeah, the uh, ILM guys, some of them splintered off and split away, didn't they? Or they become freelance. And, uh, yeah, this studio, effects studio was built up, including Lorne Peterson, one of our heroes who worked on so many of the classic uh, models in Star Wars, didn't he? Mm. Um, And uh, it was a bit of a biggie. It it was five foot long, um, the uh, Draconia. Five foot long, five feet wide, and about three and a half feet high. It's massive. Yes, yeah. and it took a year um, for them to make. Um, and sometimes you had a dozen 
model makers working on it at some points, all at the same time. And uh, yeah, I mean, basically you had a framework. Uh, over that, you have cast shapes which you put on it to build up the you know your basic shape. Um, putting in vertical surfaces. There's lots of vertical surfaces everywhere to make it all blocky, but uh, most of them are angled at 15 degrees. There's not one right angle apparently on that <laughs> ship at all. Um, now I've got a, a quote here from somebody, and I don't know who they are. So apologies if you're listening. I doubt it very much. But he says, that, and it's a lengthy quote, right? You'll appreciate this, Mark. I don't know about the listener, but here we go. Because <laughs> you've been here, you've done all this. Are you ready? Sure. Detailing took many months. Unlike some other models of the time, kit parts were used sparingly and with purpose. Onion domes were made in several sizes and shapes. I don't know what he means by onion domes. Do you think he means like our EMA spheres, you know, elliptical domes, I think he's talking about. Or, and, Could be, or is it those ones with the little spike on top? What, your minarets? Mm. Mm, might be, might be. They, they're kind of oniony, aren't they? I'm going to type in onion dome. What do you reckon I'm going to get my first image when I type in onion dome? Don't you're, cheat, right? You're going to, you're going and to have a the, look as well. You're going to get the need to clear your browser cache. Onion domes is you're know. absolutely right i've got i've got all why do russian churches have onion domes it's those, it's those twirly minarets like you say with a point on the top yes oh they are lovely i'd like to go there right okay that was a smaller side right onion domes were made in several sizes and shapes and then cast in large numbers styrene strips were new then, and we used many package, pa packages of these white strips of styrene. You've got loads of packages of white strips of styrene, haven't you, Mark? Uh, too many. Yes. <laughs> and never, never the right ones. No, 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 I know. Uh, that's a pain. Uh, the Traconia spacecraft was like a space-going city, miles long and hundreds of years old, so the details were small and layered. Scribe lines were added in several ways. Pete experimented with acid-etched brass panels to speed the process of scribing, but in the end we scribed dire directly into the fiberglass gel coat and made pre-scribed styrene sheets that could be glued to the surface. Various model makers would work on detailing the various small parts and a team worked together on the main body. The model makers would work around the model and switch areas to keep consistency. As we saw what each other was doing, we would imitate or try to outdo each other, and this resulted in many different styles distributed consistently. Now, that, that way of doing things, I think I remember that's what they were doing on the mothership in Close Encounters, where each person would work on a section and then you'd move around, you know, yeah. um, just to, you know, not make everything look too samey. Um, and also, I mean, that's what they did... Um, on Moonbase Alpha in Space 1999, but the trouble there is there's about four different styles on Moonbase Alpha of detail work. You know, one guy, you know, would do, do you know, all panel lines with the barest minimum amount of greebly stuck on it. Somebody else would be greebly-tastic, you know. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it can be quite jarring when you see the different buildings of Moonbase Alpha. But... Uh, uh, so that's one quote, um, and then he also says um, the 4,000 fiber optics were powered by a custom-made lamp holder that was housed within the model. Custom-made lamp holders in the main body illuminated the underside of the wings. Halogen bulbs were a new technology then, 
as were many other materials we used. We custom-made parts that are now off-the-shelf items. Three custom-made neon tubes were installed in the engines to illuminate the miniature blue screens. Three more neon tubes in two round discs and the fork represented the anti-gravity waves. To keep the model cool, compressed air was pumped into the model. So, yeah, I mean, it was all new then, and the halogens, bloody hell, halogens get hot, don't they? Yeah. I mean, now with model making, everything's LED. I mean, if you're going to make a model now for a, for yeah. a film or a TV show, you have uh, pretty cool LED lighting now, don't you? Yeah, yeah, or post, or it's done in post for um, the effects. Yeah. Um, and then Pete, he mentioned Pete, that's Pete, Pete Gerard, uh, the model shop supervisor. He says, this is a big quote from him, he says, Almost from the outset, I was being asked for timelines and regular reports as to when this giant model w would be ready for camera. Many shots were planned to establish the giant ship, the home base for Princess Ardala and Killer Kane's pirate fleet, whom Buck was to face in battle. Days turned into weeks and weeks into months. Our shops in Marina del Rey, which we'd inherited from Future General, were packed up and moved into the old Newbury warehouse in North Hollywood, never mind the fact the place was still getting its walls built and its power and phone lines put in. Hmm. We hastily built ourselves workbenches, picked out new power tools, laid motion control tracks, brought in our machine shop, built a spray booth, stocked all the work areas with new materials and model kits, all the while trying to get the models ready and playing host to John Dykstra's Skeleton Galactica crew. All right. You still awake? Yeah, I'm... Okay. Listening intently. All right, next bit. Again, this is Pete again. Grant McCune's team earlier had taken five or six weeks to build their Battlestar Galactica model, which is about the same overall size as the, as the Draconia was to be. <laughs> but the administration of our show was aghast that we couldn't get the Draconia even close to finished in the same time frame. It was probably because our approaches were so different. The designs were different, and the two model crews worked from different levels of experience. But it wasn't easy to convince the Black Tower, I guess that's what he calls the bods, <laughs> that we were up against such handicaps as these. The design of Draconia was, for some reason never made clear to me, based on absolute left-right symmetry down to a few thousandths of an inch, and this also held things back. Eventually the master was done, a frightfully large silicon glove mould was poured, epoxy shells quickly laid up, and a mass of fibre optics hastily installed within. More delays in the paint scheme ensued. The stage crew were running out of storyboards to shoot and our poor beauty queen finally emerged for her debut. She was heavier, more elaborate and fussier than anything we'd ever built or heard of in terms of a miniature for a TV show. Yet we model makers emerged victorious, if not exactly heroic. Okay. And, and then it says, finally the Draconia was ready to be painted and even this took a while. Some of the parts were painted off the model and then the painters tied in the colour after they were installed. Panels, as outlined by the scribe lines, were painted varying hues. Aging took several people over a week. The Draconia was to be several hundred years old, so there were many layers of aging applied. The onion domes were gold-leafed using German metal. Alright? Oh, and that's all the, the behind-the-scenes I've got on the Draconia. Yeah. I mean, I've, no, I've I'm looking at the at the, at the um, shots of the of the model there. I don't even recall ever seeing the engines. <laughs> oh, I got oh, I missed <laughs> a bit screen. about the engine. What did it say about the engines? You just reminded me there was another bit. Hang on, about the engines. 
Yes, glad you said that. Kenneth Larson spent several weeks making the Draconian's engines. He started with a block of gelatong. You know, that's that yes. soft wood that Martin Bauer uses so much. Ken applied styrene sheets, carved out recessed areas, scribed lines into the surface, and applied styrene strips, pipes, and small kit parts. Sean Casey made a mold, and Ken cast two hollow copies in epoxy and glass cloth. Inside were installed neon tubes. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem. The Draconia, from all accounts, was, you know, groundbreaking in the size of it, for a TV show at least. I mean, the Star Destroyers were like five foot long, weren't they? Mm. Um, at roughly the same time they were making Empire Strikes Back. But for a TV show, this was a monumental task in every sense of the word. And um, it's just a shame that it that it doesn't, it's not given its full, you know, glory on the show. Yeah, because I don't ever recall much of the story being told of what it is and where they come from and all this other stuff but that might just be my poor memory but like I said it, I mean you look at the um, the shots of, of the model why, why is it not used more and also I think part, part of the plot of the of Awakening is, is they're being attacked by pirates aren't they mm. with me doing air quotes and, and no one realises that the pirates are the same kind of design and colour schemes the Draconia. Yeah, it is oh, as I say, all very silly. All very yeah, silly. Pirates attacking us. Oh, that's I, I, getting back to what you're saying about why they call them Marauders. That's, yeah. That was the plot wasn't it? That, yeah, yeah. Speaking were. of the Marauders, um, I was up and close and personal with a Marauder uh, oh, yeah. this type, you know the Buck Rogers Marauder yes. um, uh, a few years back there was uh, up at... Um, at uh, the Millennium Dome, there was a, a big science fiction exhibition on and uh, with tons of props and costumes and that. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I got up close to one of the Marauder models, and, and it was beautifully done. I mean, it must be at least a foot long. Wow. And the detail was incredibly intricate all along the side and that, and uh, I was studying it. And um, the show doesn't do it justice. That's the problem, yeah. I think, with, with, with Buck Rogers and Battlestar Galactica. Galactica, we mentioned it when you were on the show for that. Yeah. Lovely models, lovely designs, that, but you know the the photography just wasn't. If it had been film standard photography, yeah. it would have been so much better, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I think they 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 also from a money saving point of view, they often recycled action sequences that were already shot. And to be fair, even in the pilot, there's a battle later on and. This supposed action sequence involves slightly rolling to the right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they they were doing that at a very early stage in the show, weren't they? Yes. Oh, dear. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, that's us done. That's it. That, we're only talking about that, that yeah. sequence today. So um, what do you rate it out of 10? It's a tough one. Again, like, like you said, the models on it are great. I mean, I don't really rate the Ranger... Was it Ranger Three? Ranger Three, yeah. yeah it's, it's a it's bit simplistic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a uh, very short space shuttle, that one, isn't it? Mm. Um, but you know, the sh- the role, the panning shot of the Draconia is great. The overall <laughs> effects are, are okay. They're mm. they're eighties TV. Yeah, I mean, what 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 can you say? I, God, seven. Seven. Well, that's that's high. Really? Yeah. I, I was I was dubious on that. I'll, I'll, I'm happy to drop it. 
<laughs> you can you can drop them any time. Um, no, I mean you said Six, average, then. so average is five. I gave it okay. five and a half. Okay, okay. Um, because right. no, no, I'm going to keep it at a five because it is just average. It's lovely model work. It's not just not done very well. But I do like that 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 pass where the draconia comes round and go comes towards the camera and then over it so no, yeah all right five i'm gonna just stay five all right so that's yeah. a six out of ten all right okay. okay fair dues all right well what will happen next time we talk about buck rogers when we're talking about space vampires eh biddy, biddy, biddy. no you oh no 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 right no. all right you're not coming back because because he's in that one and you, you'll just want to do it more mm. I, I i won't be an old biddy <laughs> Please don't be an old biddy. Uh, <laughs> all right, okay. Thank you for today, Mark. No, no worries. All right, and yeah, we'll see you back on that space station to talk about that odd vampire. All right. <laughs> I look forward to it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Mark. All right. See, see you, you later. Bye bye. Bye bye.